0: Endo Life, episode 141. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU and I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs which are Naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils, and their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it, and you know if you love the patches themselves, you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially So before we begin I just wanted to let you know that I'm holding my free workshop creating a roadmap for endo healing in 2021 on July 6th and July 8th next next week so that's the Tuesday and the Thursday and I held this workshop at the start of the year and since then I've had a lot of you ask me if I'll be doing it again because you missed it or you couldn't attend at the time and so As we're halfway through the year, it seems like a really nice time to run it because we still have six months to, you know, support ourselves with endo. And, you know, maybe your endo has gotten worse this year with all the stress that's been happening, or maybe it hasn't, it just hasn't got any better, or maybe you've hit a bit of a brick wall and you're not sure of your next steps, or maybe you're feeling really overwhelmed about how to manage it full stop. If any of this rings a bell, I think this workshop could really help you. In the workshop, I will help you to overcome overwhelm with managing endo by supporting you to identify your core endo challenges so that you can actually prioritize your symptoms and where you want to start. So you're not like totally paralyzed by the amount of options and the amount of symptoms you need to work with. I'll teach my eight key pillars of healing that I take all my clients through so you can clearly see every single step of the journey and I help you to set one to three goals and action steps so you can begin healing straight away. So essentially you're going to be able to see what your priorities are then you're going to be able to compare them to the eight key pillars of healing and the order that I would normally take for healing with those so you're going to be able to clearly see step by step right which Which one of these symptoms is most important and where does that fall in the rank of kind of key pillars of healing? And so from there, you'll be able to take your goals um, and begin working on them. Last time we had a wonderful community show up and the feedback was just incredible. People had breakthroughs, had more confidence and so much clarity about how to live well with this condition. If you'd like to join, both workshops are at seven PM BST—that's British Summer Time—but they will be recorded, so sign up anyway, and I will send you the replay if you can't make it live. The link to the sign up is in the show notes, and I'd love to see some of you there. Okay, so I think last time I was on my period, I was recording, um, which I know I normally don't do. As you guys know, I I cycle sync, so I tend to um, rest on my period even though I'm not in pain I just like to it's a nice take it as an opportunity for a self-care day and if I don't do it I really notice it um I feel like I haven't reset for the month but yeah I am recording today and I woke up on my period and I was really interested to see what had would happen because I'm post elemental diet and um, I've actually just started on antibiotics for SIBO Um, so I'm trying the third option because I am I'm going to fill you guys in on this on a much more in-depth episode or or maybe an Instagram live or something but I am negative borderline positive so it's confusing to explain without taking you through the graph so I'm going to show you the graph but So I'm going one more round with antibiotics, um, just to make sure that it is fully negative. And um, I'll take you guys through what that means and what's going on for my symptoms and stuff. But I would I was just really interested to see what would happen with my period because what I know from um clinical research with, you know, functional health doctors is that they often see when people want People with endometriosis are on antibiotics, they their sit their endosymptoms go. And this is likely due to the fact that lipopolysaccharides, which are the toxins from gram-negative bacteria, are found in the pelvic cavity of people with endometriosis and actually help it to grow and actually kind of create more inflammation. And we know that LPS is really high in people with SIBO. So when we're using antibiotics, that's usually sort of dampened down, so it's really interesting because I just wondered, like, oh, you know, I've had a lot of time of taking different you know different supplements and different medications and sugar from the elemental diet, but as you guys know, the elemental diet didn't worsen my period um but I was curious to see if I would suddenly get a bad period this time round and I haven't. So I don't feel anything right now. I feel more tired than I did last time. I felt really energized on my last period um, with the elemental diet. I just feel like I felt my best on the elemental diet. I was just so clear. So yeah, I'm just so, I wanted to report that because one of my biggest concerns when I was starting the SIBO treatment was I've got my endometriosis in a really good place and it has been for several years now. Um, you know, my period pain is either non-existent or like low, like one or two. I, I stick a BU patch on and I take some ginger and, I, and I'm fine unless I, you know, unless I've eaten, I don't know, a ton of sugar and a ton of caffeine. Um, but as long as I manage it, I am I have like a an incredibly normal period. Yeah. So I was really worried that treating SIBO might flare some stuff up and it did in the beginning, but the closer I'm getting to negative, the, like all of those kind of side effects, because I, you know, I started treating SIBO in October last year and I did have noticeably more pain. It wasn't excruciating, but I had noticeably more pain than I've had in several years so now that's kind of subsiding and and right now I don't I'm you know I have zero pain so yeah really really interesting um because that was that was probably my biggest fear around treating SIBO and it hasn't been it really hasn't been what I thought it would be it hasn't been I don't know. I guess it was challenging in the beginning, but it it wasn't like I've gone like backwards by 5 years, like I'm I'm in a good place. So I'm really I'm really excited to talk to you guys about this when I when I report back. But yeah, so I'm about 2 hours into my period and I'm recording this during SIBO treatment. So I hope that gives you encouragement that um it's not going to yeah that it's, it's possible to, to treat SIBO and also keep your endo at bay. So anyway, now that you've learned all about the link between hypothalamic pituitary, adrenal axis dysfunction and endometriosis in um, episode, what was it, 139. In today's episode, I want to provide you with some of the core foundational strategies for healing HPA access dysfunction. And before I dive in, I do want to state that healing HPA access dysfunction can take some time, especially if you're prone to living in the flight or fight response. So what I mean is, you know, your default mode is feeling stressed or anxious, or you spend a lot of time rushing around or over committing yourself to endless to-do lists. If this sounds like you, don't worry. That's me too. And it's many of my clients. And for those of us who are like that, it can take some deep unlearning of these patterns before we can really get to see significant improvement. We can certainly feel better. I absolutely promise you that. And many do. But I think to really thrive and not to and not keep returning to this cycle of low cortisol and burnout, we need to change some of these habits. So for example, one of my clients, she loves to work and she runs her own business like I do. So we make traction with her HPA axis dysfunction, but then if she goes through a busy period, her default mode is to put her sleep and the strategies that I'm about to share on the back burner because that's always been her strategy you know, to push through, to keep going, to reach for perfection. And I totally get it because I'm exactly the same too. So for her, we've seen improvement with her HPA access, most definitely, you know, she used to not be able to get out of bed when I first met her, but, and now she does, but we still have a long way to go because it's a few steps forwards and a few steps back. And, you know, we need to basically re unprogram this um, approach that she has to kind of burn out tendencies. And the same goes for me. I could feel a noticeable difference. I could feel my energy returning, my sleep schedule becoming normalized. And then I released the course, you know, um, at the beginning of the year And it was incredible. It was such an incredible experience, but it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Now, moving forward, it won't be like that because I've now made the course. But beforehand, I was building the course from scratch and learning how to market the course at the same time. And it was more than, you know, it was more work than I think I've ever done in my life. And and I've ran a magazine, which is a really, really hard job. Um, but I think this was harder. So my cortisol levels really depleted again during that. And I'd love to have seen where they were after the course. But with the SIBO treatment, I just couldn't afford more testing on top. But I'm certain that they they had plummeted. Um, and I feel like they're getting back on track. But until my SIBO is fully resolved... Um, And if there are any other infections, having them addressed too, I don't think my cortisol will be at its optimum levels because that SIBO is going to be, or infections are going to continuously, basically trigger the stress response in my body. And so I think it will be good. I think my cortisol levels will get to a good level. I think they'll be much better than they have been for most of my life. Um, But the chronic SIBO and maybe an underlying mold infection that's what I think is going on, will be keeping my body in a state of flight or fight, And I'll explain that a bit later in the episode because it, it is relevant to healing HP axis dysfunction. So the length of time it can take to recover from HP axis really varies, right? I've seen studies showing it can take weeks to recover. Um, you know, literally like a handful of weeks, not long at all. Whereas someone who is completely burnt out, like chronically fatigued, can't get out of bed most days, that can take much longer, right? So if we're thinking about my pre—my client who I just mentioned, that that's really where she was at. She was managing to work, but she was spending most of the day in bed and wouldn't really be able to start getting to work until mid-afternoon. And, um, I consulted with Dr. Jessica Drummond about, um, this client who, you know, wonderful client and, and Dr. Jessica Drummond said to me, you know, this could take two years to heal and we're about a year in and she's waking up early and she's working, um, what, you know, she's got more energy than she has done in, in years and she's no longer kind of getting wiped out by, she would get kind of sick repeatedly, Um, and have flare-ups repeatedly that would wipe her out for days. She doesn't get those anymore. Or if she did a big job um, in her business, she would then spend days recovering, you know, really chronically fatigued. And now she's waking up early and she's working. Um, She's got so much more, like, physical resilience. She bounces back very quickly from a busy period from um, a flare up she doesn't really get a full flare up but she's not you know she's not fully recovered yet so it's a journey and I just you know just know that your healing will really depend on what's happening in your life in your body and the strategies that you choose to implement so it's a journey and just know that your healing will really depend on what's happening in your life in your body and the strategies that you choose to implement And this, you know, that will all become clear um, in time as I go through this, this episode. But, you know, for me, because I grew up in a incredibly stressful environment, my HPA axis dysfunction kicked in when I was very young. And that's why, you know, that is literally why childhood, adverse childhood events, um, which I've talked about on Instagram, and I think I did mention in the episode on HP axis dysfunction. So basically negative childhood events um, and trauma, it's the HP axis dysregulation which causes the long-term health problems, right? The, um, the higher risk of developing autoimmune diseases and um, developing chronic pain and chronic conditions, that occurs because of the dysregulation that happens to the stress response. So once that has been, you know, that's become learned in the body for so, so long, we are used to operating in flight or flight. So it can take a long time to um, unlearn those patterns. And I think that is the, the underlying infections that I have, but also the alert behavior to always exist in in a stressed state because that's what my parents lived in and that's what I lived in as a child I have to unlearn that and that is years of unlearning and so it's something that I'm slowly working on and now I have a very specific therapist who I see for perfectionism and workaholism tendencies and working with curable that's undoing it um so this is probably the first time in my life that I am I've managed to find the right support to undo it because previously the therapists that I've tried haven't been the right type of therapist to help me tap into this um and I've tried to kind of fix the burnout through myself but unfortunately I've used tactics that end up burning me out because that's just my default so I'm really really working on undoing that now and I'm and I'm really dramatically noticing the difference which I'll talk about in a in a bit in terms of the strategies that I'm using so anyway um what I want to say is so you know please don't give up if it doesn't feel like it's working because honestly, what I'm about to share today, we should all be doing every day for optimum health and a healthy stress response and circadian rhythm. So it will be benefiting you. 100% it will be benefiting you. But it may take some time for your cortisol levels to fully recover. And you may need to do some deeper work in the future. It doesn't mean that you, you can't feel well now. You certainly can. But if you address those kind of burnout tendencies, you're probably going to feel much better later on down the line. So what I suggest is if you can afford to do so, take a car test, so a cortisol awakening response test, and I've linked to some of those in the show notes, and then take, so take one now, and then take another test after three months or sooner if you're feeling a difference, And then take another three months after that just to see what your body is doing. So basically, if you start implementing the strategies from this episode and you can afford to do it, what I'm saying is track what your cortisol does. Take a test now, take a test in three months, and then take a test in six months. Um, And you can usually tell that your cortisol is improving because you'll notice changes in your energy, sleep, um, cognition, when how you feel when you wake up, etc. But it can just be helpful and, and really interesting to see what your levels do in response. If you're the type of person who thrives off data, I think it would be helpful. So what I'm going to share today is four of the key strategies There are a couple more and there are some additional strategies and tools which can help on top but to avoid overwhelm I'm just going to provide you with some of the initial key steps. These actually may be enough on their own to heal HPA axis dysfunction or you may need to do some further work later on down the line but these are some of the key foundations to get you started. I'm just quickly pausing this episode to remind you guys that next week I'm holding my free workshop, Creating a Roadmap for Endo Healing in 2021 on July the 6th and 8th next week. So that is Tuesday and Thursday at 7pm British Summertime. And this workshop is a step-by-step guide to help you to overcome overwhelm with managing endo by supporting you to identify your core endo challenges so you can actually prioritize your symptoms and where to start. And I teach the eight key pillars of healing that I take all my clients through so you can clearly see every single step of the journey and the order of which to take them. I will also help you to set one to three goals and action steps so you can begin healing straight away and so that you have a clear roadmap for your own personal healing journey. If you'd like to join, both workshops as I said are at 7pm British summertime but they will be recorded so sign up anyway and I will send you the replay if you can't make it live. The link to sign up is in the show notes and I'd love to see some of you there just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop just head to the link in my show notes. So number one is a nice and simple strategy and that is to get sunlight to your eyes for 30 minutes as soon as possible in the mornings. Your body relies on patterns to set its internal rhythms and it essentially relies on light and dark. Your circadian rhythm is basically controlled by daylight so getting light exposure for 30 minutes in the mornings is going to tell your brain what time of day it is. The light changes throughout the day. So type of light changes throughout the day and your cortisol levels will respond to that. So getting morning light is really going to help to raise your cortisol to healthy levels, to the right levels for the morning. Over time, this continued pattern will basically reset your internal body clock, and then your circadian rhythm will be able to set its pattern once more, and your cortisol levels will start rising when they should in the morning, without prompt from, you know, daylight. They'll just begin doing it themselves. And you can get this light in a number of ways. It could be that you eat your breakfast in the garden in the mornings if if you have one. It could be that you sit by an open window to get ready or you could go for a walk or commute to work ensuring you get lots of light on the way. So maybe you do more walking on the way to work instead of just going on the tube. As long as you're getting unfiltered light, so it's not through sunglasses or through a window, you're all good. Just any way that you can get light that hasn't been unfiltered is going to be great. And if you can't manage 30 minutes, just do as much as you can. I get ready by um, the window. I open the windows fully um, and I put my makeup on and my moisturiser stuff by the window. Um, And I try to go for a walk in the mornings, but if if I can't, then I'll go for a walk in the evenings at sunset so that my cortisol levels respond to the sun going down and my body knows it's time to sleep. Number two is probably the most important one, but I appreciate it is often the hardest one. So it's get at least seven and a half hours sleep at a minimum each night whilst also going to bed and waking up at the same time every day. I know, I know this sounds intense, but let me explain why it's important. Your body needs regular sleep and wake times to, in order to know when to raise and when to low, lower cortisol. If you're going to bed at 1 a.m., of course, you'll struggle to go to bed at 9 a.m. because your cortisol isn't low enough yet as it's been programmed to lower at around 1 a.m. And then, you know, if you have a flipped curve, as we discussed last week, right, so your cortisol is rising at night instead of going down, this training of a new sleep routine will be hard, but it's going to be essential to getting those cortisol levels down. You know, in order for your cortisol levels to come down, we do need to retrain retrain the body um, to start to wind down at night. And it's the same if your cortisol levels are low in the morning. If you're going to bed late, then the body won't be elevating your cortisol levels to their waking levels until about eight hours later. Yes, they do start rising before that, but not enough to wake you up. So if you looked at a cortisol awakening response, you'll notice that cortisol levels drop at night. They really plummet at night. And then about um probably about the early hours of the morning um 1 2 a.m. maybe 3 a.m. it starts to very slowly rise your cortisol levels very slowly rise um and then they reach their peak an hour after you wake up but at that moment that you're waking up they're basically high enough to wake you Um, But you need to have been asleep for a number of hours for that to happen, right? It's not going to, if you go to bed at one o'clock in the morning and you expect your body to wake up at 6am, your cortisol levels are just not going to be high enough. Yeah, so if your alarm is going off and you've only had five or six hours sleep, your cortisol levels are just going to be, they're going to be tanked. So if you have HPA axis dysfunction and your cortisol levels are low in the morning or generally just low all the time. You can see why not having enough sleep or regular waking hours is not going to help you recover. The body needs to know when it should be elevating cortisol. And to do that, it needs a reliable pattern, right? Otherwise, how, how is it going to know what times to raise cortisol? So what we're doing with this practice is essentially resetting your alarm clock. On top of that, the reason why our HP axis is is dysregulated is because of stress, right? as we discussed in um, episode 139. And that comes from both physical and emotional stress. And a huge physical stressor on the body is lack of sleep. So if we want to allow our HP axis to regulate, we need to invest in improving our sleep quality. Now, this is, of course, easier than done. I know that. So that sleep routine piece is going to take practice in order for your body to get into a rhythm. And in most cases, it's going to take what's known as sleep hygiene practices. And these are essentially strategies which help to lower your cortisol levels and to raise your melatonin levels at night. That's the sleep hormone. And they also help to improve your sleep quality. And... I mean sleep hygiene practices are a whole other podcast but I've linked to an Instagram post I did on sleep hygiene strategies and of course if you want to dive deeper I cover both HPA access uh, dysregulation and sleep optimization in my course which you can get on the waiting list for now um, because it's out in a couple weeks so I've put the link in my show notes to that if you do want to learn more but for now there is the link to the Instagram post that I did on sleep hygiene strategies If you have insomnia, I completely understand and I go through cycles of this myself, which truthfully I think is down to having a flipped cortisol curve because I so often default into a state of flight or fight. And I also truly think a large majority of insomnia cases are down to cortisol dysregulation. I really believe that. So if this is you, rather than getting stressed about the sleep piece, Perhaps look at working on all of the other areas I'm going to talk about today, because they will start to regulate your cortisol levels, which over time should help you to sleep. And I would start teaching your body a pattern of the same sleep times and wake times, if possible. Even if you're not getting to sleep, even if you're not trying to, and in fact, I think that's probably better, don't actively try to get to sleep because that will stress you out. Just sitting in bed and practicing calming restorative techniques to help lower cortisol at night should be helpful. But yeah, as I said, don't make the cool don't make the focus on getting to sleep, but rather just lowering cortisol. So, you know, a dark room, maybe candles or very soft lighting, breathing exercises, massage. Listening to sleep stories, which um, you can find now on, on loads of meditation apps like Headspace, just anything gentle or soothing. And I hate to say this, but I would avoid watching TV, being on your phone or your laptop or computer like the plague. I know. I'm often, I know I'm often very careful with my language and I say to do what works for you and to tailor each strategy, but there's really no way around this one, I'm afraid. Blue light from your TV, phone and laptop will 100% elevate cortisol and it will suppress melatonin. That's been proven in the studies. And not only that, but these devices are designed to engage, stimulate, and activate your brain, they're not designed to help you to wind down. So they're kind of going to be working against you in two ways, right? They're going to be elevating your cortisol whilst lowering your melatonin, but they're also going to be stimulating the brain. If you need your phone for the meditation or sleep story, put it on night mode. Ideally, get an app that creates a red screen Um, And wear blue light blocking glasses or um, get a blue light blocking screen protector for your phone and turn the brightness right down. Now, finally, I know you're probably thinking, well, what about the weekend? Well, research has shown that we do need this consistent pattern all day, every day. Um, But I know that's not realistic, right? So I would just try to do your best. If you're out late at a birthday, you know that's a one-off, and I just wouldn't stress about it. If you're at home and you just tend to, and you just tend to stay up later at the weekends, see if you can curb that slightly and bring it closer to your normal bedtime. Right. So if you go to bed at 10 p.m. normally, can you make it 11 p.m. at the weekend? That kind of thing, right? Rather than a stark difference of 10 p.m. during the week and one or two a.m. at the weekend. Just try and make it as um, realistic but as helpful as possible. Number three is to eat at regular times and to balance your blood sugar. Just like with light exposure and sleep, eating at similar times can give your body reliable patterns to set its internal rhythms to. So if you can eat at roughly the same time each day, that is going to help. This pattern though is less important than the first two, so don't worry if sometimes you're traveling or something and you just, you know, you can't eat at the same time, but roughly and as often as you can will be helpful. But what is really important is blood sugar regulation. You know I've talked about this so many times by now, but high and low blood sugar levels are stresses to the body and they activate the HP axis stress response. And even if your cortisol levels are low, it's still going to activate. It's just going to be pumping out adrenaline in cortisol's place. And so the stress response will still be occurring, just of course, it's just not going to be working as it should. And as long as we keep repeatedly stimulating that stress response, the HP access is going to stay dysregulated. So if we're repeatedly activating it because our blood sugar levels are all over the place, then we're going to be affecting that, that healing. I've shared how to regulate your blood sugar in previous episodes, so I'll link to that for full details. But in short, we need to include protein, fat, fiber, and complex carbohydrates with every meal. That's the number one way we're going to be balancing our blood sugar. And the general ratios for good blood blood sugar balance are 50% of your plate consisting of low starchy veg, which provides you with fibre and complex carbohydrates, 25% of your plate consistent of protein, and the final 25% being split into healthy fats and starchier yet complex carbohydrates. For fat, we want at least two golf ball sized servings, so that could say, that could look like, say, about a third of a large avocado or two tablespoons of nuts and seeds and with the starchier complex carbs it could be sweet potatoes or quinoa or beans if you haven't got them as your protein source and the serving size that you have of those will really depend on your energy needs Um, of course if you look at it in relation to the other ratios it's not a huge serving it's about a handful but if you might you know a small handful but you might need to increase it if you have a very physical job or if you're very active be guided by how you feel with that. If you find you're getting hungry soon after meals, first try increasing your fat and protein sizes. Um, but if that's not enough, play around with with the uh, complex carbohydrates. The other key strategies for balancing your blood sugar are to not allow yourself to get starving or super hungry before you're before you eat. If you're shaky or if you're hangry, you've basically waited too long. And of course try to keep your refined carbohydrates and added sugar to special occasions rather than everyday foods. So if you want to understand this in more depth, have a listen to the episode I've linked to and a read of the articles I've added in the show notes. Um, my course has also got an entire module on blood sugar balancing. And for some reason, it's it's basically everyone's favorite um, module people love that module. So um, it's a good one. And I talk about its impact on endo because it is actually far reaching um, and the impact on our hormones and how to balance blood sugar. So again, you know, the waiting list um, is now open and you can sign up to that. And I know the idea of reducing certain foods can be triggering, right? When I'm talking about refined carbohydrates and sugar. So if it does feel triggering, then focus more on balancing your plate and all of the wonderful foods you can add in, right? Like the protein and the low-starchy vegetables and the complex carbs and the fats. Just think about all of the lovely foods to add in and focus on eating regularly, not going hungry. And of course, if you have a history of an eating disorder, it's always best to work with a nutritionist, coach or a dietitian who can guide you properly through this, um, as well as finding support from a mental health practitioner. So finally, number four is stress management. I know I said sleep was the most important, but actually it probably ties with stress management. Now in order for our HP axis to recover and get back to some kind of normal regulation we need to stop chronically activating it as i mentioned earlier. This means we need to learn how to move regularly out of fight or fight and manage our stress response plus look at any areas that may be a source of stress that we can address. Of course there's always going to be some elemental stress in our lives right but we can change how we cope with and respond to stress and even how we perceive stress. So firstly, let's begin with the simpler changes. We want to practise moving out of the stress response called the flight or fight response and to move into the rest and digest response on a regular basis. This is particularly important if your default mode is anxiety, stress, worry, fear, etc. Because for you guys, and I'm including myself in this, most of the time you're going to be in flight or fight. And of course that's not good for your body. You know the impact that chronic stress can have on the HP access and on pain from our last episode. But being in a constant state of flight or fight has far-reaching effects on our health. Personally, I found that I have a harder time trying to get my mind to calm down, but utilizing stress relief methods for my body, using these practices that actually put us in rest or digest, then calms down my mind, or at least it takes me out of flight or fight. Even if my mind is still ruminating, I can physically feel the difference in my body. And it's been these practices that I've been using very heavily as I unlearn you know, this this kind of default stress response. And for, for many, many years, my tactic was to try and calm myself down from my mind. And it, it didn't work for me because it's really that my body has defaulted into flight or fight physically. Um, and I, I needed to take my body physically out of that for my mind to calm down. So, some strategies which calm down the stress response and put us into rest and digest include massage, any kind, but I really love abdominal massage, like the I Love You massage for IBS issues or Arvigo massage for IBS, period pain, and endo in general. Um, these are really great to do before bed because they put your body into rest and digest. So that's you know they're gonna lower your cortisol levels at night. But also they support digestion overnight. And I've linked to a free I Love You Massage on YouTube in the show notes. And you can also learn Avigo Massage in one Zoom session with a therapist and then practice on yourself. And I've put um, links to where you can find an Avigo Massage Therapist in the show notes. Another strategy is Tapping, also known as Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's an exercise where we tap the body, on the side of the hands, the eyebrows, side of the eyes, under the eyes, below the nose, on the chin, on the collarbone, under the arms and on the head whilst repeating certain statements. The practice combines Acupress- acupressure which originates from Chinese medicine with more kind of western psychology practices and it's now gathering a wealth of data behind it and has been shown to take us out of flight or fight and calm down the stress response and I really love it because it's also been shown to reduce anxiety depression and pain and is even helpful with managing SIBO um, I'm gonna kind of do some Instagram posts about this because I think it's fascinating You can learn tapping with a practitioner or you can use an app or watch free YouTube videos online. Um, I've linked to an app in the show notes that I like. And yoga, mindfulness meditation, walking in nature, mild to moderate exercise such as Pilates, brisk walking, Zumba, that kind of thing, being in community, All of these have been shown to reduce stress levels, taking us out of flight or fight and into the rest and digest state. And what I also love about these practices is that they're a way to process trauma or emotion out of the body. Often, you know, we don't want to think about something that is distressing to us, or we don't feel like we're safe to express it in the moment, you know, for whatever reason. And we store that tension in our bodies, which can lead to Hypersensitive nurse firing off danger signals, triggering pain because the brain thinks we're unsafe. But if we're able to physically work off some of that emotion, the physically damaging effects of that stress response can be reduced and pain signals can calm down as well. I found it really helpful for me taking this approach because, you know, being a health coach, it's of course sometimes a stressful job because I'm, you know, I'm looking after people's health and that in itself can be a lot of pressure. But of course, hearing about someone's pain or distress is emotional. So afterwards, I can sometimes feel worried or anxious. So often I'll come off a call and I won't really know how to think my way out of what I'm feeling. I'll struggle to soothe myself with just my thoughts. So kind of as just a, a practice, regardless of how I'm feeling after a call, I'll tap or I'll get on my rebounder for five minutes or I will do some mindful breathing, or I do some, some of my weightlifting exercises, which I do at intervals during the day anyway. And I sort of just imagine myself shedding the stress as I do it. Not all of the time, but you know, especially when I'm jogging on my rebounder, I sort of see myself running the stress off. I sort of see it kind of like falling off me um, as I bounce. And it really truly helps. It's, it's become a wonderful way for me to process my feelings, actually, um, rather than just kind of sitting with them and ruminating on them. And the next area to look at with stress is whether you have any past trauma that needs working through, right, which we've been talking about already. I've been talking a lot over on Instagram about the ways in which childhood trauma, known as adverse childhood events or experiences, dramatically increase our chances of developing chronic pain, autoimmune diseases and chronic conditions. And as I kind of explained earlier, the pathway for most of these developments is through HP axis dysregulation, which has occurred due to chronic stress, right, from those events. And if we haven't worked through these past traumas, they can be subconsciously keeping us feeling unsafe, um, and that causes our body to be in a near constant state of flight or fight, or at least easily stressed and activated. So our stress response basically kicks in um, quicker than a normal person, like a person who has um, healthy levels would kick in at. And this could be a whole topic in itself, so my recommendation to get started with this healing process is to read my Instagram post first, so you could just kind of have a background, and then I've linked to a couple of books, podcasts and therapy resources to help you work through trauma in the show notes and and kind of begin there and find a place or find a resource that is most helpful for you personally. We also need to look at how pain is triggering your stress response. Of course the more stressed we are about the pain the more unsafe our brain feels and then the worse our pain gets because it's our brain which creates pain and controls the intensity regardless of whatever the pain is absolutely whatever the pain is pain is always made by the brain and if the brain feels like there is a reason to make pain so if the brain feels at like fret or in danger in any way at all and this this could literally just be from a stressful email it will increase pain levels. So changing the way we experience pain and perceive pain is also important. And of course, this and the above step about trauma can take some time, right? It's not easy to change change these behaviours. So don't worry about that. Don't stress about having to get it all done and, and how difficult that might be for you. Put the easy practices in place first, right? Like maybe getting sunlight, trying to in before bed, eating at the same time, balancing your blood sugar, etc. Put the practical bits in place and implement them over a time frame that feels manageable. And then when you feel strong enough to work on your pain perception or trauma, begin then. By this point, I would hope that you have better cortisol levels and I would expect that you probably do have better cortisol levels. And as a result, you'll have a more robust and healthy stress response so you can actually better handle the work involved in the steps of processing trauma. Or changing the way that you see your pain. Because stress is not a bad thing, right? The stress response is designed to power you through stressful situations. It's healthy. So we want you to have a resilient and robust stress response. We just don't want it to be too high, too easily activated. We don't want it to be chronic and we don't want it to also be too weak, right? We don't want low cortisol either. So anyway, that was a side note on how to approach this, but back to change in the way that we actually perceive our pain. Um, again, this is a whole podcast in itself, but there are a few therapies and approaches to help you to do this. So you could try acceptance and commitment therapy for pain. I think you can use acceptance and commitment therapy for, for many things so you're looking for specifically for pain. Curable which is a brain retraining app for chronic pain and I highly recommend it and mindfulness-based pain relief and there are other strategies and there are a couple of great books I recommend too so I'm going to link those in the show notes. These are just these are just kind of starting places to get you thinking and to get you going. Finally we also want to look at physical stresses but this is where it can get a little bit complex. If you're dehydrated, if you're eating an inflammatory diet, if you're over-exercising, sleep deprived, or have SIBO or gut health infections, or you know, any underlying infection for that matter, chronic inflammation or nutrient deficiencies, these will all be stressors on the body and can make it harder to recover from HPX's dysregulation. Now, what I would say is that this is a more advanced approach to healing and I feel like for many people with HPX's dysfunction, they need to have more energy and better cortisol levels to be able to take this stuff on. Otherwise, it can just feel too overwhelming. So I'm not going to dive into that today. Instead, what I will say is to focus on a nutrient-dense diet, rich in anti-inflammatory foods so that your body is well-fed is getting a good amount of nutrients and we aren't fueling the inflammation fire right um you can also add one or two supplements to help lower your overall inflammation which we know is generally a problem for most people with endo right being an inflammatory disease and i talk about my favorite anti-inflammatory supplements in episodes 130 and 131 so um you can have a listen to those and also make sure you're drinking enough The calculation to work out what your body needs at a minimum is to drink half your body weight in fluid ounces. So you take your weight in pounds, so say someone is 100 pounds, um, then you half it, so we have 50 pounds, and then you just replace the pounds with fluid ounces. We're not converting, we're we're just swapping. And if you're very active, you'll need more than that, Um, this is just your minimum. And I have linked to a water calculator in the show notes, which helps you to work out how much water you need if you're very active or maybe you're breastfeeding or something like that. You could also add some basic um, essential supplements too, like a good multivitamin and mineral supplement um, and omega-3 fatty acids to ensure you're covering the basics. Now, of course, if you're not absorbing your food well due to gut health issues or you're deficient in the nutrient, these may not be enough. But again, I'm just covering the foundations and I would just look for supplements that are easily absorbed. Just make sure that they say that on the label. If in time you then feel ready to get some thorough nutrient status tests and gut health tests or, you you know, you decide to explore anything else that you think might be going on in your body, of course, right, that is going to help, help but I want to emphasize these foundations first because they can make such a difference and can give you the strength for the bigger stuff. So there's the four initial steps and what I wanted to emphasize, what should be underpinning all of this, is joy and fun. If this is stressing you out then it won't be helpful. So we need to tailor the healing in a way that will make you feel pleasant feelings and that allows you to have fun or enjoy yourself in, you know, whatever way that is, whatever fun or enjoyment means for you. Because what we don't want to be doing is for this to be stressful because that's going to affect your HPA axis. So, you know, for example, instead of seeing a 10.30 p.m. bedtime as a curfew, how can you make it feel luxurious? Can you turn your evening routine into a mini spa retreat each night with a candle, an abdominal massage and calming music before bed? How can you spend more time with loved ones who you enjoy being around in a way that feels joyful and nourishing to you rather than kind of exhausting um, and tiring? Can you go to restorative exercise classes with your friends or have regular catch-ups so you feel supported and connected? Could you do things you enjoy more often, like heading to the cinema or doing fun activities? Are there maybe things you stopped doing that brought you joy, which you can bring bring back into your life slowly? Could you take a cooking course to learn how to make delicious but healthier desserts so you can feed your body and your taste buds? Or could you get some new cookbooks to learn how to eat more fruit and veggies? Or maybe, if you don't like cooking and you can afford it, Can you try a meal delivery service, which offers you not just healthy meals, but more time for you to relax and enjoy your life? Basically, whatever it is, make this healing path feel good. If it feels stressful, take a step back and think about how you can make this process more joyful or more easy. The point of this is to calm your HPA axis down so it has a chance to recover. So Do what you need to do to make this work personally for you. So I hope this episode has been helpful for you. As I I said, these are just a couple of initial steps. But if you'd like to dive deeper and learn more, or you just, you know, you need extra support, you can always work with me one-on-one or take my course, uh, which is called Live and Thrive with Endo, which has an entire module dedicated to HPA Access Recovery. Um, and like I said earlier, the course is out in a couple of weeks, so you can sign up to the waiting list now, and the link for that is in the show notes. Please, please, please let me know how you get on with your healing, and if you found this episode useful, I would love to know. And if you have found it useful, please share it with others, as you just don't know who might need this, or who is suffering with endometriosis in silence. Um, so yeah, please get in touch, let me know how you found this episode, and good luck with your healing so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my instagram page which is this underscore endolife um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world